You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So for, for seven weeks, I have dealt with hope and empty places from a very situational position where I've tried to match um, circumstances and demonstration of how Christ is our hope in those kind of situations. I'm going to finish the series this week and next week, though, around what the main objective is. The main objective is to develop a people of hope, that we don't just carry hope into a particular circumstance, but that we actually become people of hope. All right, and so um, this this dawned on me in early in our preaching series is that since our hope is in the person of Jesus and not in an outcome, becoming a person of hope can be learned, practiced, and shared. And because hope is much deeper than an emotion, we can chase. You can chase emotions, and you'll never catch them, or they'll be very fleeting. But we can chase Jesus. And he's not fleeting, and we'll get to that here in a minute. So, so much of where we can find ourselves personally or corporately or as a country or any other, to any other in that regard is that we can be in places that feel empty, that feel empty. So here are some bullets, though, to address that. Um, these are, re- these are re- repetitive from weeks past, but feelings are real, but they're not reliable. They're real and not, but not reliable. Empty is a situation or circumstance that exceeds our ability to change it. And so because we depend so much on our own abilities, our own intellect, our own creativity, our own resources, we can find, when we find ourselves in situations that we can't address it, our feelings, our feelings then get in the, in the way by saying then that we are empty. Stress is a response to empty. There is good stress, there's bad stress. Stress in and of itself is not bad. Without stress, we wouldn't hurry. <laughs> Without stress, we wouldn't be on time. Without stress, you wouldn't complete stuff. There's good stress. The issue becomes, though, in, in what uh, the response, our response to, restre- to stress, our reaction to stress, can be anxiety. Anxiety, not good. Anxiety is what wastes you away. Anxiety is what eats you up from the inside out. Stress can make us anxious, or stress can just get us moving. It's how we handle that stress, which makes it important that we understand that hope is a confident expectation anchored in the person and the work of Christ. So once again, hope then not being an emotion, hope as a confident expectation. So you can see then when a situation feels empty, meaning it's out of my control, and that raises the stress level in my life. Now I can approach that stress level with anxiousness, or I can approach that with hope. And literally, I think that's a choice. And it's a choice based on how we build ourselves into people of hope and not just people that will react or respond to any particular thing. So it's, that's why it's important for us to build and become a person of hope. If you don't have this 
um, passage of Scripture underlined in your Bible, I'd encourage you to do this now because anxiety and stress are natural responses to things that feel empty. And what we need is a supernatural response. Okay? And so, and this gives it to us in Philippians 4. Paul writes and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. <clears throat> so in a minute, we'll even find out the context, the context in which he's saying this. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. How many are gentle when you're anxious and stressed out? Right? So, he, so he's really putting together this, he puts together this puzzle on, the, on, on a, um, facing situations with a rejoicing spirit. That rejoicing is going to Will, will, will reflect out his gentleness. And then he says, why? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. So read, situation not empty. So if the Lord is near, then it's not empty, okay? Don't be anxious about anything. So there's the context. He's speaking to, um, to, to the anxiousness that's a part of who we are. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, now he's given us an approach, by prayer and petition, prayer and petition, these are different things and the same thing. Prayer, I'm having a conversation with God. I'm inviting God into the situation. But don't feel bad about the petition part. <laughs> right? Ask. That's a petition. I'm asking. And, but with thanksgiving. So, so here's the real twist in us. When I'm, a, when I'm becoming more a hope-filled person, my petitions are less out of anxiousness or fear or, you know, the sky's falling. And they, they come about in a, in a thankful manner because of who I'm approaching and what his history is with me. And this is, and then the response is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, say supernatural, right? Okay, well, some of you said part of it. Well, We'll, we'll guard your hearts, your emotions, and your minds, how you think, in Christ Jesus. And it's a guard is a military term. It is literally walking sentry over. Okay? So my petition, my rejoicing then my petition, puts me in a position where now God's response to me is a sentry guard. Sentry guard. Peace, and I, you, can, you can probably say, and hope, peace and hope coming from the Father. Satan will use every circumstance beyond your control to provoke fear over an unwanted outcome, because that's where fear comes from, because our mind goes to the unwanted outcome. Okay? Anybody else do that, or is that just me? All right? So we, we run ahead. We have the outcome that we don't want that outcome, so then we have a fear of an, uh, over an outcome, unwanted outcome, and he does that so that we will freeze, we'll stop moving, and frazzle twist this in knots in that spot, all right? Um, but neither the circumstance or that fear can overcome hope in Christ. Hope in Christ is the, is the thing that trumps all the other stuff if we will live and walk in the hope in Christ. You know, you, um, uh, you ever say, what, um, what else could happen? Right? When is the other shoe going to drop? Um, there are no plot twists with God. Like there isn't some 
twist in this that you didn't expect and see coming that somehow has escaped the attention of God, right? Because Roman 8 tells us, Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So it means any kind of circumstance that might pop itself up, any plot twist has no impact on our relationship with God, has no impact on his proximity to us, has no impact on his overseeing of us. These things are plot twists to us. They do not throw any wrenches into what he's going to do because that passage ends and all things work together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. So it doesn't change. It, 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 it's, it's not circumventing anything he's going to do. So hope will reduce or eliminate unhealthy stress. And, it re, and, um, and one of the things that helps reduce unwanted anxiety is praise. Praise is a tool that we can employ that will circumvent anxiousness. Listen to Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with harp. Make music to him with the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. See, I can't do any of these other things really well, but the shout part. Because like, I'm, I'm like a little horse today from singing in two worship services. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. It gets better. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain, what, hope. A vain hope. So, so powerless hope. Um, well, it, it's putting your hope in things that look like they're the really strong part. And he's saying the things that we think that are working to our advantage or the things that we would put our hope in, he said those are, not, those are not the things worth putting our hope in. Despite all its great strength, it can't save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in the unfa- his unfailing love. This is where our hope rests. This is where the strength of hope is. Not in what, when, the, when it looks like the circumstances are turning in our favor. Hope is found in the unfailing love of God. That is not conditioned by circumstance. Verse 19, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope. One of the big things over the last several years I've been trying to teach you is that if, you, if we have to wait for an outcome, we're going to live a lot of our life without joy and hope. Joy and hope comes in the word that God's promised. And when we can latch on to the word, then we can live in hope regardless of whatever outcome is. 
But if we wait to if we wait for to live in any kind of joy, any kind of hope, to when things work out the way we want them to work out, we will we will vacate living in a lot of hope. Um, he is our help, our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust our minds, our hearts rejoice, emotions in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Um, so I want to talk about um, how we become a person of hope. There's a learning curve to hope. You understand learning curve, right? You get a new assignment, new job, regardless. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how resourceful you are. When something's new, there's a learning curve to it. You got to learn. It doesn't mean that you don't have an aptitude for it, but what it means is you have to actually learn the process. All right, learn the process, and we're going to learn a couple processes today. Here, um, here's a quote by Ryan Holiday, author of a, a great little book called The Obstacle is the Way. He said, life is not about one obstacle, but many. What's required of us is not some short-sighted focus on a single facet of a problem, but simply a determination that we will get where we need to go somehow, some way, and nothing will stop us. Persistence is an action. Perseverance is a matter of will. One is energy, the other is endurance, and they work in tandem with one another. First time I read the book, first time I read that quote, man, I just loved it. It just resonated with me. Because um, I, I love it. I don't you love it when you see someone persevere? When you see someone overcome something, it's inspiring. We have movies about it. We write books about it. We watch, you know, we watch sporting events to, to see the, the underdog champion and not quit. And I mean, there's great quotes about it. And I love all this, but except for this thing I want to tell you, that Ryan Holiday is not a, a follower of Christ. He's a great author. The stuff makes perfect sense, but that philosophy is what's called a humanistic or humanist point of view, meaning that a humanist will believe that we have everything we need inside of us. And that's why it's appealing, right? Because we all want to believe that, right? That we just dig down deep, just pull yourself up by a bootstrap, just, you know, we are, you know, we, I mean, I, I like that stuff. I like that quote. I read that quote, and I'm like, ah, you know, I, I love, I love the feeling of just getting after it. But listen, a follower of Christ is dependent on Christ. And then, you know, Georgetta did this two weeks ago, right? God co-work, we, he's called us to co-work for him in the kingdom, and we coexist with him in life. We co-live this life with him. So, so, so persistence and perseverance is important, but somewhere along the line, if you just are, are digging down deep for it to come out of you, you will hit rock bottom. Because somewhere you are going to find the end of yourself. Then what do you do? If you put all your hope in that humanistic basket that I have everything I need inside of me, you will crash and burn. Theology, theism, theist, is we, there, is, there is a God who not just exists, there is a God who lives in me. When I've surrendered my life to him, he resides in me. And so then God does something with these obstacles, and he's the one that pushes forward, right? So this is very important to know. So uh, I told you, Eugene, my, one of my favorite quotes, Eugene Peterson, has about discipleship. He says, long, it's long obedience in the same direction. So this, this requires perseverance and persistence, right? Long obedience in the same direction. And it just dawned on me. It shouldn't have dawned on me. I should have been front and center with me, is that becoming a disciple and becoming a person of hope are synonymous. 
They're synonymous. We talked about we grow as a disciple. Well, it's impossible to grow as a disciple and not grow as a person of hope. So, which means that if I'm chasing hope as an emotion, I'll never get it. But if I'm chasing Christ, when I get him, I get it. Right? And so discipleship is chasing Jesus. It is following Jesus. It's conforming my life to Jesus. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to live in and through me, to conform me into the likeness of Christ. And in doing so, we will become a person of hope. And it's a slugfest. It's a fight. It's much easier to kind of depend on yourself or quit than it is depend on Christ. But depending on Christ is, is the outcome. So, so in this cycle, this learning curve, like when you hear long obedience in the same direction, my mind goes to this linear flat process. I'm a process-driven guy. So you do this, and then you do this, and that's supposed to equal this, and then you do this, right? I'm a process guy. But discipleship isn't a a linear process. Becoming a person of hope is not a linear process. Um, It's not running in circles, but I think there's a cycle and a coil to it that you come back to. Like you settle some things and you come back to it. You have to come back to it. It, It's kind of like, the, the, the old farmer that got mad at his mule and dug a hole and put the, put the mule in the, um, in the hole. And he was shoveling dirt and throwing it on top of the mule. He was going to bury the mule alive. But the, the, he, was an old, he was an older gentleman, and he couldn't shovel very fast. And the time the dirt hit the top of the mule, the mule would shake off the dirt and step up top. Next, next shovel of dirt hits the mule, he shakes it off, steps on top. Before too long, the mule's staring the farmer back in the eyes. Right? And, I, and, I, and I, this, this is the process. God... All the stuff in your life that you've had to experience, he wasn't just trying to help you get past it. He wanted it to get under you. Not just to get over it or past it. To build, to build, to build. You pack it down, step on top of it. Pack it down, pack it down, pack it down. You're building a foundation, all right, or what he brings or what gets brought forward to you. So, there are five, there are five, um, I've identified five kind of things to do, the cycle, this cycle of becoming a person of hope. And just because you, you, um, you get one on top of one doesn't mean that you're not going to have to circle back to that, okay, at some point. So the first one is you have to settle the core issues. You have to settle the core issues. So all five of these will begin with S because that's what pastors do. All right, but just, just, just two. One, settle the core. What are the core issues? All right, the, the first core issues are, um, that we have to settle are the feelings of empty and forgotten. At the heart of the issue, empty and forgotten are, are identity issues. These are identity issues. All right, so let's, let's, break th- let's break through these. Empty. When we perceive a situation as empty, it reflects our limited view of God's identity. He's a nice guy and all, but somehow lacking the power to affect change in my life. And that is a subversive satanic attack on the sovereignty of God. When I feel empty, it is an identity issue, but that identity issue is is a perceived less identity that God actually carries. In Romans chapter 4, Paul is reflecting over Abraham and God's interaction. And he says this, and he has quoted it out of Genesis. As it it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. 
He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And then he says, this is my favorite description of God. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. You want a definition of God? How about one that creates stuff out of nothing? How about that one? How about the one who causes dead bodies to give life? How about the one who brings dead bodies to life? I'll take that definition of God all day long, right? So, so when, when we feel empty, this, this is, a, this is a, a depletion. It's a depletion of an understanding of who God is and his sovereignty, all right? There's a difference to belonging to a faith and living in faith. Okay, we, 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 we belong to a faith with a capital F. We're, if you're a follower of Christ, then you're a Christian, and the religion is Christianity, okay? But, but walking that out, that's, that's a smaller F. That's, that's living in faith. It goes beyond to what I was raised in. It goes beyond to what I ascribe to. It goes to how I live, how I act, how I respond, how I act is the best reflection of who you are. Somebody, someone agree with that? All right, and so that's why, does the world need more hope? Everyone says, oh, the world needs hope. But how's the world gonna get hope? The world's gonna get hope because it needs more people of hope, okay? People of hope. All right, how about forgotten? Forgotten is when we perceive ourselves, when we perceive ourselves as forgotten, it reflects our limited view of our identity as a son and daughter of God. We believe God loves us, but with all that he's got to keep track of, we don't register high enough to get his attention. And so, and so everybody feels comfortable in here. How many of you have felt forgotten by people or by God at least once, twice in your lifetime? There we go, right? So this is a, this is a very basic at our core of what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to tell us that God's not enough. And, and if he can't get you on that one on Monday, then he'll swing it around Then you're not enough on Tuesday. And he don't care which one you buy into. He don't care who he blows up, all right, as long as he blows something up, all right? But forgotten truly is an identity issue that we have yet to fully grasp our identity in Christ. A son and daughter of God, chosen by him, knowing all there is to know about who we are, and yet choosing us, not even choosing us anyway, isn't as well, golly, David's lacking in about a lot of stuff, but you know what? I like him. He's a good egg. You know, I mean, that's not, that's not God's, that's not God's approach with us. We are his children, his son and daughter, when we receive what he's given us in Christ. Um, if you don't have Psalm 139, start somewhere in your Bible. Start, underline it, highlight it. And it's not just good poetry. Okay, this is just not good poetry. Listen to Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Having searched David, all of who David was, had done, was doing, would do, known by God. You have searched me. You know me. That's an intimate connection. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David's getting lost in this understanding of how much God knows who he is. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. Um, if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Surely if I feel forgotten, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is an intimate formation, intimately formed. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, intimate trust. You see, he's writing this in a place where he he must feel some level fighting the feeling of forgotten because he goes to all this great stuff about him and God and God knowing everything. And then he gets to, I hate those people who hate you, Lord. (laughs) I got hatred for them. They're coming after me. Would you slay them? He is in a place, surrounded in a place where he's having to encourage himself even in the Lord on the recognition of how deep did God know him. It was not this cursory, you know where I am, you know what I'm doing. It was a deep, you know everything there is to know about me, even the days of my life. And you don't just know them, you knew them before they even started. So when the enemy makes us feel lost, alone, and forgotten, it is a a go-to tactic of his. And when we understand our identity in Christ, which means... Like, I understand my identity in Christ. And tomorrow, if I keep at it, I'll understand more of my identity in Christ. And next week, I'm going to learn more about my identity in Christ. See, you got to settle some core issues, and it doesn't mean you're not going to circle back to them at different times, but when you settle it, you settle it. doesn't mean you've learned it all yet. But you said you, you, you should be able to have enough to say, regardless of what I see and feel, my trust and hope is in him and not just in him, but, he, but, but my relationship with him, that he knows and loves me that much. And I will rest and settle into that. That would have been a good place for an amen. Yeah, but it doesn't count if I have to ask you. All right. So that's settle, settling the core issues. Let's talk about seeing in the Spirit. Seeing in the Spirit. Here's, here's the second one, the last one I'll do today. Seeing in the Spirit. Um, uh, watch, watch this video clip. 
And, uh, and then uh, to illustrate this point. The monkey business illusion. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. And that's the monkey business illusion. Learn more about this. So, why is that the case? Why, here's the reason. We will generally miss what we aren't looking for. We miss what we aren't looking for. You weren't looking for a gorilla. And if you knew about the illustration and remembered enough about it, you definitely, I mean, I've used this, I can't tell you how many years I've used this illustration. And I watched it again this week and forgot about that curtain, curtain changing colors and the person leaving. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember there's a reason why I use this and then it worked on me. This phenomenon is not new, right? This is human nature. Then closest to us gets our attention. And then everything else gets moved into the blurry background. So the question becomes, person of hope keeps Christ in view. And so, so he, he is where we fix our attention and our hope. And, and actu in actuality, then the circumstance, that, that they get pushed into the blurry background. Because we, we, then we see them through Christ. Look, God sees us through the cross. We're made righteous in Christ. So when he sees us, he sees through the cross that we've been made righteous in his eyes through his son. How do we return the favor? We see circumstance th also through the lens of the cross. And so those things aren't the dominant things. The hope we have in Christ is the dominant thing. And then that changes how you live. It changes completely how you live. Then you live based on hope and the truth and the validity of who he is and who you are in Christ. Not in what everything else tells you about where it's going and how it's going down. It changes how we live. It doesn't change the circumstances in which we live in. But it changes how we live. One of my favorite passages. I love reading about Elisha and Elijah and those miracles. That's something else in 2 Kings and chapters like 4, 5, 6. They're, they're kind of they're lumped together. But here's one in particular um, where I'm not going to read the whole passage. Um, we'll get to jump to verse 15. 
Micah. But basically what's happening is Israel's at war with Aram. Elisha keeps telling the king of Israel, the next place, the next battle is going to be fought, right? Hey, listen, they're going to come this way, so be ready over here. And then Israel's ready, and bang, they, they defeat him. And then it goes a little time later, and he says, hey, listen, this is the next thing they're going to do. And then, and then they do it, and Aram is, the king of Aram is, is like completely frustrated with this. And he's saying, how does this keep happening? Do we have a mole? And no, 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 there's a prophet in Israel that hears everything you say, even in your bedroom, because God tells him. And he says, well, go kill that man. And so they send an army after Elisha. And Elisha wasn't hiding. They knew where he was. He was in Dothan. That's not Alabama, but it's, he was in Dothan. In verse 14, it actually says, Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asks. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opens the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Open his eyes, Lord, and let him see. Such a big deal. He didn't say, come on up team. He didn't say, well, just take my word for it. There's more for us than there is against us. Eric, you take my word for it. He said, Lord, open his eyes so that he could see. I think that's amazing. Right? People will call Christianity a blind faith. It's not. It's not because God didn't say, just take my word for it, I will come save you. We have Jesus comes in the flesh so that he could be seen. And you say, well, I don't see Jesus. Well, we, through the word of God, we have connection to people who saw Jesus. These are eyewitness accounts of seeing Jesus that we now, we experiencing him we experience him in faith. And this is what Paul was trying to teach in 2 Corinthians. All right? So in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, this is a very familiar passage that I teach from, from a great deal, but I, but I don't usually tag the back end because I've got, a, I've got whole teachings built around the front end. But I want, you to, I want to read it to you for context, okay? But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from, is from God and not from us. Right? So humanist perspective, it's all strength in me, but we're human, so we're weak, and God uses that to show that his strength is what's shown through us, okay? Then Paul says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us. Hold the next passage, please, Micah. But life is at work in you. And that's what I generally focus on. If you ever see me do the illustration of standing on Coke cans, and my, my focus is on the power of Christ that's inside of us pushing outward, okay? That, that's very valid. But when you get to the back end of that chapter, verse 16, Paul says, therefore we don't lose heart. 
Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Now what he's doing is he's turning our attention to the things that we feel like it's crushing us. He's saying that those are light and momentary, which means they have a weight limit and they have a time limit. And then when you measure them against heaven, they're also light and momentary, right? Because heaven's going to be eternity. And he says, our light and momentary troubles, they're not just, they're not just a, a, has, a hassle. They're not just hard. He says, are achieving for us. They're literally, he is literally working those for our benefit. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. How do we do this? Verse 18, he says, so we fix our eyes. Because this is true, because what I'm telling you is true. He's saying, fix our eyes on, not on what is seen. So we're not fixing our eyes on being hard-pressed. We're not fixing our eyes on being perplexed. We're not fixing our eyes about being persecuted. We're not, we're, we are not, um, we're not focusing on those things. We need to push those things into the blurry background and fix our eyes on what is not seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and unseen is eternal. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? What constantly has your attention? Is it draining you of hope? Or is it filling with hope? And, and the answer that will tell you what you're looking at. See in the spirit. Well, Pastor, I, I don't know how to do that. Well, the best thing I can pull out of 2 Kings, or 1 Kings, where, where was Chapter 4, 6, whatever. I forgot. It's in there somewhere. I just read it. Is he asked? He asked. God, show him. This means that I can ask. I I can be in places where I feel all of that pressure, and I can ask, Father, show me what I'm not seeing. Show me your presence. I don't want to fix my attention on the thing that's staring me in the face. I want to fix my attention on the eternal. Today, though, I need you to show me that. I don't even know how or what he'll do for you when you do that. I mean, what an amazing, I mean, the, the servant opens the door and goes, you know, and the next is, oh my God. You know, I mean, there's a big transformation of seeing fiery chariots. And I don't dismiss I don't dismiss that being able to happen with you. What he does or what he did, he still does. So I know these were just these are these are two significant cycles to becoming a person hope. And I'll I'll just tell you, I don't like it when I'm not hopeful. And and I'll tell you, people around me don't like it when I'm not hopeful. And you can lead and live out of a lot of different postures. But the one that's going to bring you life and the one that's going to bring everybody else life is leading and living from a hope posture. Listen, it is not pie in the sky thinking. It's not somehow uh, averting the reality of what's going on. That's, that's not true. That's not hopeful. Hopeful is the pure recognition of what you're facing, but not putting all your stock in what you're facing. And, and it's not putting it in yourself. It's putting it in Christ. It's Christ in you and me, the hope of glory. 
I haven't met anybody yet that said they've licked this, right? I am full of hope. All I see is hope. Everywhere I look is hope. I haven't met anybody yet that nails this. But I've met plenty of people that continue to chase Christ and continue to be more hopeful and lead more hopeful. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for us as a church, right? And the world can be burning down around us. We could have full recognition of the heat and the temperature and just say, ah, but we hope in Christ. And if this is the next thing to do, then we're going to do the next thing. And we're going to do the next thing. And we're going to do the next thing. I don't care if stuff's burning down around me. I'm going to do the next thing. I'm going to fix my eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. So today you might need to settle an identity issue. If you're having an identity issue, okay, around empty or forgotten, today's a day to put some of that dirt under your feet. You're not going to put it all under your feet, but you can put that under your feet. No, I'm enough, God's enough, right? I'm enough because he's enough, all right? On the other side, something right now could just be all front and center. And the prayer that the prayer that I encourage you to have, let me see what I can't see with my natural eyes today, Lord. Let me see what I can't see. As always, communion's available on my left and my right. If you want someone to link arms with you in prayer today, this is the side of the altar to come to. If you want to just spend time alone with God, not in your seat, but in an altar, come to this side. All right, let's all stand for prayer and then I'm going to invite you to move. Father, you're so faithful. Your word is so rich. Your word is so rich. It's so full. May we follow it, Lord. May we, may we learn to trust it enough to follow it, to put it into practice in our life. Lord, raise the hope temperature in our lives today. I pray that for my brothers and sisters in Christ. May, and maybe someone is still trying to figure out if you're real or not. Lord, but, but, but there's something inside of them that's, that's, that's churning right now. Lord, it's, it's being, you're, stirring, you're stirring them up. Lord, I, I pray that they would trust you today. And if, and if that's you and you're standing in the room or watching online today, um, it's a, it's a, it is a walk of faith. You, you're not going to know all there is to know. But you know enough of you don't want to keep living the way you're living. And you want to live in hope. And that's an invitation. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And honestly, after that, I mean, that's the biggest piece. And after that, he'll walk you through everything else. I invite you to move. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.